Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. This week, we are joined once again by Dr. Miriam O'Regan. Miriam is a worshiper and lover of God. She holds a doctorate in the field of early years education, and she has also been a part of church planting teams in Ireland and Europe, serving in Paris, France, Delft, the Netherlands, and Bray County Wicklow, Ireland. Miriam currently serves on the core team of Red Cross Church of Ireland, County Wicklow. She is keenly interested in the early church in Ireland and Celtic Christianity. Welcome, Miriam. I'm so glad that you're joining us on the Alabaster Jar. Yeah, it's fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, and you know, it was such a uh, treat for me to meet you this, this past summer in June when I was over in Ireland for the first time. Absolutely gorgeous country. You know, it's known, or I grew up hearing it called the Emerald Isle. And That's right. <laughs> it, it's not an exaggeration. It is mm-hmm. so gorgeous. So we were really thrilled to be there. And it was sunny the whole time. I know. We so there. you got to enjoy the green. You didn't yes. have to endure the rain that produced yes. the green. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, we, we hit that good seam there. Yeah. We had so much fun talking. And I thought, well, I'd love to yeah. uh, just talk a little bit about one of the interests that you have that, that we share, which is women in the early church. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I loved your seminar for that reason. Because, um, I mean, apart from the women in the Bible loved that piece, I was very interested to hear about the early martyrs because I really hadn't heard anything about them right know, yeah other than the names i vaguely understood i heard of the names so it was so interesting to learn about that yeah yeah and we had such a great time i did a couple of lectures there for the irish bible institute and and it was just fantastic and you mentioned to me saint well how i would call her saint bridget but is that bridget of kildare mm-hmm. yeah bridget of kildare and i'll tell you i'm so excited to have you pronounce the the names and the way they should be pronounced because I will not be able to do so. No, 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 don't worry. No worry. Oh, but you know, we, we're going to talk about your own journey of faith and then yes. kind of um, weave that in with uh, St. Bridget because as you mentioned to me, she's such a powerful saint, such a powerful image in Ireland. That's right. And as a woman, there's so much at stake for us in how she's presented. So you yes. think of, yes. yeah, St. Bridget. Tell me a little bit more about this important women, uh, this important woman and how um, how she's influenced, well, the last, really the last 1500 years in Ireland. Yeah. So she's been a hugely influential person. Um, I think probably there are two strands when you look at her. I think everybody acknowledges that Bridges of Kildare was really an abbess. She really founded a monastery, even though we don't have a lot of concrete details on that, um, as in, you know, records. But she's acknowledged as the founder of the monastery at Kildare, uh, which she ran as um, a joint um, monastery with men and women, which was very unusual. I don't know if it was common anywhere else, but she invited the hermit Conleth to come and run the male side of the of the adventure. And... Um, and he is credited with setting up the first scriptorium and, and starting, um, you know, the beautiful illustrated manuscripts. And the Book of Gildare produced by that um, monastery was famous. Um, it was seen in the 11th century by a guy called Gerard of Cambriensis, but has disappeared since. 
Really? So, but we know it's real. It, it definitely, you know, you know, it was a beautiful, beautiful work. So uh, what did the they do? Can I, uh, yeah. would, would uh, only monks be doing the scriptorium? Do you know if there were any women that also? No. Script- hmm, go ahead. No, I don't know. That's the yeah. short answer to that. I actually don't know. Um, I, I don't know that there's records of that, but the scriptorium, no. that, that was such an important institution for the church in recording scripture because mm-hmm. everything had to be hand copied right so so the when we think of it if if, if uh, so there's a lot there's of course as you can imagine you know history there's disputes and debates and all the rest of it however if we take it as given that patrick came to ireland in 432 he could have died anywhere between 460 and 490 depending on who you <laughs> read bridget is considered thought to have been born around 450 and she died at 525. So there's some overlap. There's some overlap. Um, in if, if, if he dies at the later date, you know, there's an overlap right. there. But while he mentions lots of virgins and monks and all the rest of it, there's no evidence that he founded a monastery. And it seems like the early monasteries, the first monasteries in Ireland, were all founded by women, of which Bridget, Bridget's was the first. And there are others, uh, St. Darica people who are not well known, but who um, whose lives tell the stories of founding of monasteries, which I think is so interesting that, that, that women were at the forefront of that. And especially when you think that Ireland was completely um, cut off from the Roman world. There were no towns in Ireland when Christianity came. There were no towns. It was an agrarian society with, you know, tribes that moved all over the country. And so the very first towns were built around monasteries which I think is fascinating. So, and, you know, they had the church, the scriptorium, they had the lands around the monastery for raising cattle and sheep and all the rest. But they were the first settlements of that really became established as towns. And and as you learn about who she who she was, how who Bridget was and the amazing she's a builder, right? She yeah, she's incredible pioneer when you think about it. Incredible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How does that um how do you think that connects with your story or with other women in Ireland um today you know right. well i suppose now i have told you that's kind of the historical bridges i think we can safely say people accept that that's it there's also the hagiographies and the miracles of bridges i'm going to confess to you it was the miracles of bridget that got me first <laughs> that's, hey, that's all right yeah that's what and so um so I, I've read the earliest one, the earliest. So she dies around 525, roughly. The earliest one is 125 years later, 650-ish, written by a monk called Cogitosis, who would appear to have been uh, a member of her mon- of that foundation at, at uh, Kildare. And he t- he speaks, it's, it's odd, you know, um, apparently his, Latin, I'm not a Hiberno-Latin scholar, however, his is one of the first things written in Hiberno-Latin, and um, and he appears to be making a serious attempt to record the stories and the information that he has received down through his down through the years. If you know what I mean, he's trying to. So what he gathers together essentially, though, uh, sort of is apart from very interesting descriptions of the church in the seventh century, of what the building looked like and how it was run, all of that. Um, he gathers together thirty-two miracles that she did. And I suppose 
I, I, having, um, how would you say, having, um, I knew a lot of these stories, but when I talked to you, I thought, oh, flip, I better read the, I better read the originals, you know, I better have a good look, you know. And it, what was interesting was the stories I knew are not in the in Cogitosis's book. It, they seem to be of later date, which I just thought was interesting. However, so when you read through, I mean, do you know, it depends on how you read them, doesn't it? So people who don't have any faith at all <laughs> tend to read them as fairy tales, can only be a myth. Me, how I read them when I'm reading them now as an adult, I'll talk to you in a minute. Now as I'm reading as an adult, I can ask myself, okay, is there anything like this in the Bible? That's a good starting point. I just feel, well, you know, if we're going to talk about multiplication of food, that was one of her favorites. There's several like that. She turned water into ale. Well, turned- and and if I can just interrupt you in that, I also read that story uh, in the uh in, in my context, it's often called beer instead of ale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I read, yeah, that she, from one barrel of beer provided for 18 churches. churches. Now, I have to say, uh, I was not raised as a quote-unquote teetotaler. You know, we had prohibition here in the in yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the evangelical community I grew up in. Uh, they they would have frowned on this oh. particular miracle. Uh, however, you know, maybe it would capture some other uh, Christians. They she would be, you know, uh, well, I mean, I think when you think about that, I suppose like wine at the time of Jesus. That's what I mean. I I, I can go. Okay, well, there's some parallel there. I, I'm not going to, yeah. you know, but. I would say this, that ale and beer at that time, as I'm sure you know, uh, was the safest way to drink. Water was generally, it was considered a way of sort of making it safe to drink the water almost. Exactly. It wasn't wasn't just about getting completely legless or anything. Um, So, yeah, some of them are more believable, more credible, or at least more, I can say, yes, I can see a parallel with the scriptures. And what's interesting about cogitosis is, take is he really presents her as a woman of great faith and the you know the script no, all things are possible to him who believes and he quotes the scriptures that says greater things though shall they do who believe in me so and he clearly um often makes a direct just like our savior she healed the blind or she healed the leper or so i would say that he is definitely making as it were a biblical case <laughs> Yeah, for many of yeah. these miracles, they are not being told just as, you know, fairy tales. Right. Um, and I, I, and so you, you, you have to say, okay, so if you take that just at face value without being cynical about it, without being just saying, okay, right. then quite a few of those sound poss- feasible. At least I've heard of, there's parallels in the scriptures and I've heard of parallels in modern day Africa and places like that where That's they right. experience these things. Absolutely. And in along those lines, I would highly recommend reading. It's a two volume work um, by Craig Keener called Miracles. And he does precisely what you're talking about in the in the modern era around the globe of, yes. in the modern period. There was one story that I uh, read where she prayed for a nun who was blind. Yeah. And that nun received her sight. And then, and this is what I found so amazing, that the nun realized that having human sight to be able to see the world around her actually clouded her vision of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? And so, isn't that, I mean, there's such rich richness in that. And so she asked Bridget to pray that she might be blind again to restore that, yeah, that relationship. That really 
to a relationship with the Lord in being able to see him. Yeah, I agree. Clearly. I find that some of the lessons are you read as you read this book, you're seeing things that you would not you don't see in contemporary uh, Christianity. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. And one of the ones then the, another big emphasis on all of the stories is that she was a virgin. And that like the and, and they quote from Revelation, you know, the the virgins who follow the lamb. And uh, and, and so it, this is seen as and it's highly prized and highly honored. And I was just thinking like today nobody prizes or highly mm-hmm. honors being single no. or 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 she dedicated her her virginity to the lord i mean that's how it's said and that's such an an a complete shocker to us really yes yeah but yeah. but, 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 but it's that. a model it's a model of discipleship exactly. that, and yeah. faithfulness that that's the right. church has to offer mm-hmm. and i suppose so the things that drew me to her was that supernatural I love that. And also her great generosity to the poor. I mean, Ireland before Christianity was not exactly known as a kind, <laughs> you know, caring place. Um, it sounds like it was pretty vicious. It was probably still pretty vicious at the time of, she was still, when she was alive with inter-tribal wars and all of that. And yet she was incredibly generous and kind to the poor. And I think that was one of the great moral um, lessons that these early hagiographies were trying to communicate was that caring for the poor and caring that she, I love the saying that I like is the one where she says, every guest is Christ. Oh my, yes. Every guest is Christ. That is powerful. And so she treated everybody with this, yeah, I mean, of course they're hagiographies. You don't see a lot of weakness in them, but nonetheless, it's, it's striking that she would give away the most valuable of items to poor lepers and uh, and to the hungry. And uh, the Cogitosis talks about how there were fl- people flocked to Gildare. I mm. bet they did. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, so incredibly generous and, um, and merciful, you know, very, very merciful to sh- sh- even those lepers who took advantage of her or who, who did not respond with thanksgiving, let us say, she she blessed them anyway. I like all that. That's all the stuff I like. I think that's powerful. And I suppose in my own journey as a person, that would have inspired me to, I suppose, yeah, this this heritage of, of strong women is, is, is really strong in Ireland. And um, so I grew up a Catholic. That was my background. And so becoming a nun and doing really some amazing things, some of the, the nuns that I knew or that I heard of were powerful women. And that's a model, again, we don't have in, in the evangelical side of Christianity. So like most of the, the big hospitals in Ireland were started by women. In, you know, in the, in the early 19th century, they were, there were a lot of Catholic women, who nuns who started hospitals. They, were, they started schools. They started schools for girls. They... They were mighty and they were inspired by that tradition coming down through Bridget. She is a role model for all of those things. And unquestionably, the big stories, I'll tell you the two big stories that I knew. So as a child, right? So, you know, one was, so you, you, I'm sure you've heard of St. Bridget's Cross that you make with rushes or you make with straw and you kind of crisscross it over until it becomes a, a, a cross. And the story is that there was a chieftain dying who was a pagan. So remember then, Bridget is at the crossover 
between Christianity and pagandom and Christianity. And, and one of his slaves came to beg her to come and speak to him. And he, he was raving and delirious. And they were saying, no, it's too late. It's too late. And uh, she arrived in and she just started picking up the rushes off the floor because that's how the floors were covered back then. And she started to make a cross. And as she was making the cross, she explained to him the gospel of Christ. Oh, that's beautiful. And at the end of it, he had completely calmed down and received Christ before he passed away. I love that. That That is a wonderful, that's an amazing story. And and it feels to me a very real story because yeah. you hear of that even, even today in hospitals and in hospice care um, of a person coming and just speaking the words of the gospel and how yeah. the Holy Spirit then moves. Yeah. And I, what I'd like is that to this day, little kids of her, at school on, around the 1st of February, which is her feast day, are making this cross and hearing that story. Yeah, that is wonderful. That's amazing. In, in, you know, in, in some, and, and I, so when I, as a child, these things, you know, affect you. And the other one that I, the other story, kind of legendary story, because I, I, I was distressed. I couldn't find this in any of them. <laughs> I thought, but I know these stories. But the other one that I really like is um, when she went to build her monastery, she decided she wanted land in Kildare on the plain of Kildare. It's a beautiful, the Curra. And um, she went to ask the King of Leinster, who laughed at her, to get out of here. I'm not giving you land. And she went off and prayed that the Lord would soften his heart. And so she came back and she said, will you give me some land? And he goes, no. He says, will you give me as much land as my cloak will cover? And he goes, okay, go on. And then the, this is obviously just legendary, but the four, the women who were with her, she always had seven, apparently, seven virgins with her. They grabbed her cloak, which was just a little white cloak, and they began to run and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the king said, stop, 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 stop. I'll give you the land. I'll give you the land. I'll give you the land. They, they recognized it. He gave her the land. He went on to become a serious patron and, you know, provided and became a Christian himself. Um, now, you wonder what was at the root of that story, <laughs> but Brotrija and all that, it remains, uh, I don't know, I suppose I, it shows great courage, great uh, persistence and faith. Definitely. That's right. Yeah. yeah. To are... go and do something outrageous, <laughs> whatever it was, <laughs> but it got it got her the piece of land she wanted. Anyway. <laughs> it was where she wanted it, beside the woods, you know, all the things she needed. These are such um, great stories, Miriam. <laughs> I love the I love the legacy too. You talked about the heritage of strong women and the schools and yeah. the hospitals and things that came out of that legacy. And so you were just mentioning this monastery that she started as a nunnery, which grew into this monastery run by an abbot and an abbess. And it sounds like it became yeah. this place of learning and ultimately a great yeah. influence in Ireland. So could you tell us a little bit more about that and even maybe tie it into the present of what education is available today for women in Ireland that want to study scripture? Well, I suppose, um, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that because there was this tradition of monastic settlements and monastic, the monastic movement that came down through the centuries in Ireland, um, it, that was always available in a sense to Irish women. I think it's fair to say that for many, uh, I think this is probably true throughout the Catholic Europe, um, it was possible, it was a way out of maybe difficult lives, 
It was a way of um, you could consecrate your life to the Lord and then you could have some peace. You could do other things <laughs> like famous saints in, in, in Europe, like Hildegard, the musician, you know, all those. Um, so while once the, the we were colonized, as you know, <laughs> by the British and the monasteries were all shut down. Um, so in a sense, in the early 19th century, you see all that starting to come back again. Uh, and and yet again, thousands and thousands of Irish women were involved in that kind of, in those orders. Not so much evangelical Christians, uh, obviously in my end of the country, but um, yeah. So there is, and, and from that time, they, they could study any at any of the um, Catholic seminaries. They were allowed, they weren't obviously becoming priests, <laughs> but they were certainly being trained and um, schooled. So when I'm trying to think of a good example now, because I say most of the nuns that I can think of that are really well known are were women of action above all else, you know, um, you know, uh, like Mother Teresa, Sister Teresa of Calcutta came to learn in Ireland, came to study here. I didn't know that. Yeah, she was she came to Ross Gray and was, did her um, not apprenticeship. You know what I'm trying to say. Her, her, she took her vows here and she learned, she studied here for a period, I think, of six or seven years before she went to India. And she was an Albanian originally, obviously. Um, so there was this big tradition of, of that they took their training very seriously. They took their education seriously. I, I, in the modern era, what you can, you find that in every teaching college, um, there is a lot of religious studies is available at any teaching college. I would say that as we become, as the charismatic remove, uh, renewal um, became more and more popular, that's when Irish women started to attend, as the men do, institutions like the Irish Bible Institute or there's, there's other there's a couple of Bible schools around the country, and do the sort of online um, Bible classes that are available from London and the UK. Um, I, there is no institution at the moment that you would say that's an Irish women's seminary uh, but at the same time they've been had access to all of the different colleges and seminaries now for the last like i'm not aware of any counter controversies at all about women not being able to attend somewhere put it that way that's amazing <laughs> you know any, any of the different ones that maynooth or all hallows or a catholic or protestant uh, they it, it that does not seem to have been an issue in our ear in the modern era let's put it that way yeah so yeah, I, I think probably one of the things that surprised me most when I became a Christian. So I became a Christian when I was eighteen, and uh, yeah, in the charismatic renewal. So I started off with miracles, and you know, Jesus is wonderful, and woo. And then, uh, and then I, I became involved with a movement that would be an evangelical movement, which was great for me because I I got to learn the Word of God in a way I'd never learned it before. It was fantastic. But the thing that surprised me when I was maybe I don't know how long I was in my journey. I suppose I was in my 30s. So let's say for the first 10 years, I was just like, woohoo, this is great. And I, I got to go and be a missionary because one of the things we're very conscious of in Ireland is our tradition, our missions tradition. So I got, I was a great privilege. I got to be a campus minister in France and then went on to Holland where we started a church. That was fantastic. And I felt that we were fulfilling a, an ancient call on my nation as a missionary nation, going back right back to the, you know, Bridget herself was not a missionary, but um, but she was a preacher and she travelled all over Ireland. I think that's important to say because not all monasteries had preaching women as there, but she was a good teacher by all accounts. 
Oh, and that's, and yeah, and traveling and speaking the word and evangelist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you have to say, because there's so many, I mean, there's Kilbrides all over the place. There's Kilbride means Church of Breed, Bridges. And there are eight Kilbrides here in County Wicklow alone. Wow. So that says a lot. Yes, her influence. And this is, she's not like someone that popped up in 1700s. Oh, no, she's, no, 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 no. She's one of the most well-documented people of that era. You know, yes, many, five or six different Latin lives of her. And that's not without all the old Irish lives. You know, there's others that are, um, she's, and she was very influential in Europe too, as a result of, of these scripts, these books, you know. So what surprised me most as I became more involved with evangelical Christianity was the things that women couldn't do because yeah. I, I had never encountered that before. I know it sounds nuts because obviously I couldn't, as a Catholic, I could never become a priest, right? But it never struck me at all <laughs> until a certain point I realized, um, oh, I wasn't going to be able to speak in church. I was really taken aback because in my charismatic Catholic charismatic scene, really anything went, you know, if you had something to share, they'd let you share. So it's just interesting to realize that, that uh, there was a whole other stream of Christianity uh, about how people were viewed in marriage, how people were viewed in the church, that I had somehow missed altogether in my own upbringing. I had no sense of that, that there was something I could not do. In Even though I, I, I do understand I couldn't be a priest, but that for some reason never... I don't know why it never struck me as a huge problem because I think I was always aware of these strong women. Right. Doing the stuff. Right. There were and women heroes. There were women heroes. And that was the, I mean, maybe that sounds crazy to you, but that's. <laughs> no, no, but they were women who were doing things. I mean, that's what you have gone back to time and again, and it reflects in your own life that these were women who had the empowerment from the church to go out and preach and teach and build and serve and love on the people yeah. all around them. Yeah. Which is like Jesus. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I have to say, you know, legendary elements aside, you do get the feeling that this was a woman, a mighty woman of God who was going about doing the stuff and also yeah. built a great monastery, you know, just by the by. <laughs> well, that's now one of the things that I, uh, when, when we were talking about this uh, topic this past summer, um, you mentioned that I think there's a big anniversary coming up to okay. celebrate Bridget and that not everyone sees her as a Christian. Some have connected her with a pagan goddess. Can Correct. you kind of unpack that a little bit? Sure. So, um, I mean, you don't hear anything about this pagan goddess at all until this century. You know what I mean? Until like the last... 50 years, you know, that's when it's become a little bit more. Um, with the Celtic revival back in the eight, late, early 1900s, interest arose, began to rise in all the old stories and myths. Um, and I myself had never heard of the goddess Bridget until recently, though, I should say. Um, but what's interesting about it when you read it, um, one is that the only reason we know anything about these people is because the monks wrote up the stories. That's the only reason we know. So you're left with, uh, what can you make of that exactly? Um, so they, a lot of people make a whole big thing about Bridget die, die, is said to have died February 1st. And that is also the Feast of Imbolg, which was the beginning of spring of, in Ireland. 
and it was dedicated to this goddess Bridget. And so they made a big show about, well, no, they've really, she's only all these miracles. That's nonsense. You know, it was the goddess. But when you, well, two things, I suppose. For me personally, when I read the stories of, of Bridget the goddess, I really couldn't see how they could possibly uh, mistake them for a Bridget the person. There's just no no connection that I could see. You know, I mean, she she loses her son in battle and she started the first keen in Irish. And so, yeah, I just, there was simply no connection that I could see between the two other than the name. And right. were, it was obviously a pretty common name because even in her miracles, she meets another Bridget. It was just a common name. Um, but for those who want to, like I'm interested in Celtic Christianity, there's some who just want to take the Christianity out of the Celtic, if you see what I mean. Yes. And they want to make her over into, yeah, a female goddess. And of course, she was, you know, she was she she performed an abortion and everything, according to the. So, Bridget is interesting. You can kind of, I suppose. Now, when you look at the stories, what actually happened was one of the nuns did get pregnant and she prayed for her and the baby disappeared. That's the story. Yeah, uh, that's, that's not we would not call that an abortion. I remember reading no. a little bit on that as well. But kind of what you're saying is people are taking uh, bits her Bridget, character. Yeah, they want yeah. to take the little bits and, and make her fit into our story now. Yeah. You know. Uh, and I suppose we're all guilty, a bit guilty of that. I'm inclined to read her through my charismatic lenses, you know. Um, you know what I mean? We're all inclined to to do that. But I feel it's actually... So a guy called Noel Kassam, who was the um, education officer at the National Library and the keeper of manuscripts, has really written a fantastic book, um, monster of a book, documenting all the sources about Bridget and doing what I would you'd have to say the closest thing to a definitive... Uh, you know, I mean, it's a work of scholarship, outstanding scholarship. And um, he came down on the side. She was definitely real, definitely real. Not the same per, not the same thing. But there's lots of people out there prepared. Lots of people who were floating that idea, you know, without an awful lot of basis. That's my right. problem. I think you have to be able to say, firstly, I don't believe there are miracles. And then you, everything becomes a goddess. But That's if you right. say, well, miracles are possible and do happen, then you're left with a different view. That would be my reading of us. Um, well, yeah, and it, it takes us right back to the beginning of our conversation where you said when you looked at the miracles, you then turned to scripture and said, well, do these fit? Yeah. You know, they weren't trying, she wasn't doing a miracle to try and get gold for herself nope. or uh, fame for herself. Uh, she was self-giving in yes. the ways that we see in scripture, Jesus and the apostles. Yeah. So, um, as you think, just as we're wrapping up here at the bottom of our half hour here, um, I mean, you and I love studying history, and Serene does as well. Like we we could geek out on history, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and just stay in that in that spot. Although I am happy to be born in an era with hot showers and flush toilets. Oh, so I don't know that I'd want to go back and actually meet her in person. But but why is it so important for us today to know? the stories of these ancient women? Well, I I actually got into, I, I've actually started a little thing called Fearless Women Ireland. And my goal in doing so was to gather Irish women in a really encouraging environment that would, in, would inspire them to go out and do the stuff like Bridget did. I don't mean necessarily in the same way, 
but to realize that they were connected to a long heritage of faith. And and even if they are not today Catholic or, you know, like she wasn't Catholic in that sense either, um, that that uh, we need to pick up her cloak, her mantle, yes, and wear it today in Ireland and whatever that looks like. And so we've run a couple of events. They were really great. We heard some great stories from great women. I'll just tell you two. One is a little lady in, from Carlo, a housewife. The Lord spoke to her to buy a field and build a church. So do you know what she did? She bought a field and built a church. And her little church started in 1990 and she was the pastor. I mean, no evangelical in their right mind was going to let her do that, but she did. And today she has a thriving church there. Oh, praise the Lord. That's so well, wow. And she's this quiet little unassuming. If you met her, you would think she was just a little housewife because that's all she looks like. She mm. went to Africa on mission, you know, with the, looking at a meeting. And while there, the Lord spoke to her to buy land and build a school. So you know what she did, right? She oh, bought I think so. <laughs> and she built a school. And in 2010, her school was acknowledged as the best school in Africa. It was some, it was some competition of some sort, and they won a big prize for, like, the best school in Africa. And if you met this lady... I mean, she's like your little neighbor next door, you know, and she's so unassuming and just sweet. That's that's amazing that she it, it inspires me. It it because uh, she's just being obedient. God taps that's her right. on the shoulder and she said, OK, I'll do it. And fearless, obedient and fearless. It's incredible. And the other story I'm going to tell you is about a modern day nun. She's from Bray from my county, just up the road. And my sister goes to the church where her family is. And she went out to Sudan and founded a school for girls in the middle of the Civil War and has a school that's protecting these girls, that's bringing them on, that's educating them. And in fact, that nun won a prize, a, a United States prize in 2019. She, she went out and she's done an amazing, amazing thing. So I feel like we're a little island, right? There's only, we're only five or six million of us. We're only small. But I do believe the Lord has has work for us and also work for Irish women to do. And and that's what I suppose Bridges inspires me. And and Fearless grew out of that inspiration. You know, so that's Bridges. Well that well, thank you for sharing all of those things. I think for all of our listeners, some of whom live internationally, a lot who are here in the United States, uh hope they take up that that mantle that Bridget. One last uh, thing. Yeah. Next year, her, her feast day is becoming a public holiday. Our, and she is the first woman to be honored with a public holiday in Ireland. Just oh, want wow. to say. So that's, that's wonderful. Becoming a public holiday. Yeah. And so we need to know about her and make sure that our stories are, yeah. are correct about her. That's right. As she witnesses to Christ, which is what we all are, yeah. are called to do. That's right. Miriam, it was so great to spend this time with you talking about Bridget and about your own life. And uh, I'm certainly inspired. You're very welcome. My pleasure. You've been listening to another episode of the Alabaster Jar podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Miriam's work, check out today's episode description for links to connect with her. And we hope that you'll join us right back here next week. We release a new episode every Tuesday, so be sure to share, subscribe, and join us back for another episode of the Alabaster Jar podcast.